Hello everyone, welcome to Adoption Adventures, welcome to another awesome week. Um, I'm about to embark on a lengthy car journey, so I figured you could uh, you could join me for a bit of it. Um, so if you do hear any, you know, background noises of cars and motorways and stuff, my apologies, that is, uh, that's just the, the way that we're playing at the moment. Um, so, my um, adoptive voice group have just got together and we've just released a, a latest questionnaire that we've sent out. Um, we wanted to check in with adopters about um, post-placement blues, uh, post-placement depression, and sort of identify how many adopters had experienced it or were experiencing it. And if they were, what or had, what would they do? What 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 would be the solution? And then the next step, what else could be done to, to sort of help adopters feel more comfortable and confident about discussing this? Um, now, I know that we've done an episode on post-placement blues where I was looking to sort of explore what post-placement blues most famous blues were, and to just discuss it and, you know, make sure that everyone had an idea of these things that were sort of happening and were out there. To summarise, um, post-placement blues is pretty much the same as postnatal depression. The Difference being that postnatal depression is when there is an imbalance in hormones um, and you're having a very hormonal reaction post um, sort of post pregnancy, post giving birth. Um, so then there becomes a little bit of a difficulty and disparity, uh, particularly with um, GPs when they talk about this because there hasn't been a hormonal change and I'm saying it like that because you know I think that our brains are going through hard wiring and changing and I am not a scientist as you know um, but I think that our hormones are going to be all over the place when we become parents um, but some GPs aren't recognizing it as a sort of a true condition some are recognizing it and understand that it does exist and that support needs to be given um but the ones that aren't are just saying hey you know it's it's not it's not a hormonal change therefore it's not something that we're going to consider i'm hoping that that's slowly but surely changing because we are becoming that much better at understanding mental health and mental awareness but we all know this is uh, the long haul, right? Um, so, essentially, post-placement blues is you have had the child or children placed with you, and then whilst all of the training and all of the experiences that you've gone through have told you how wonderful and exciting this is going to be, and how you have been looking forward to this and working really, really hard for this, and then it happens, and hold on a minute, it's not as wonderful as it was supposed to be. Now, 
what what we wanted to do was we wanted to sort of shine a light on this topic and we wanted to identify how many people were experiencing it or had experienced it and what what sort of support was out there what sort of support was needed um so we delved into it um we had roughly uh just over a hundred um responses to this survey um and 75% of the responses stated that they had or were currently suffering with post-placement blues. Um, and I have to say, I found that to be a huge number. Um, I don't I don't think that as I read it, I, su I was surprised. I don't think I was surprised. But I do think that there was a part of me that was sort of... I, I guess I'm kind of... I'm, I'm kind of splitting hairs here, but I was, I was sort of taken aback by the numbers. I wasn't surprised by them, but I guess I thought I was really proud that adopters were being honest and being open about that um within our, our board we had a conversation we discussed this and we said you know i wonder because there wasn't statistics on how far into the placement adopters were um there wasn't statistics on when these post-placement blues were felt um we had to accept that within within this data we have to accept that we did go through two years of covid and a lot of people's mental health would have been affected would have been sort of hit um so could that have been a contributing factor i think as well and i we, we kind of identified that the flip side to that is during covid people were becoming a lot more aware of mental health issues. They were becoming a lot more aware that people that they knew were suffering. So as a result, we became a lot better at identifying that we were suffering. Um, so I kind of, I wonder if that number was higher because we're just that much better at understanding that, yeah, I, I actually had a bit of a low point. Um, we won't know. We won't know the answer to that. So, you know, that's that's just conjecture at this point. Um, but seventy-five percent, seventy-five percent of the responses come back and said, "Yeah, um, post-placement blues was a real thing, or is a real thing for me." Um, now, the first recommendation that the board um, sort of took from this is that we wanted to publicize and really really shout from the rooftops as loudly as we could these figures now we wanted to shine that light because we wanted to let as many people as possible know that if you are one of those 75 percent did you think that you was part of 75 percent did you realize that there were so many others that were going through the same thing or had experienced the same thing? 
did you feel like you were alone or isolated having those experiences? I'm gonna guess that there will be a lot of people that will be shocked with that number and that would be surprised that that had happened, but also be really pleased that they're not alone. That's guesswork, but that was the first thing that we wanted to do. We wanted to really shine a light on it and we wanted to let people know that this existed and it was real and it was affecting people. Um, so moving on, we then looked at what do people do? What, what are people sort of doing to get support? What does support look like? Um, now from this, there was a, a checkbox um, of various things and people could also add their own sort of responses as well. But people could put multiple answers. So the data, I'm, I'm not going to say it was skewed, but the data wasn't accurate in as much as for it was 53% were accessing peer support um, and then 52% were getting self-care and then 20% said that they did nothing. So those percentages do not add up, but um, of the responses, like, like I was just going through, lots of people talked about the self, um, sort of self-care and peer support and the importance of the peer support that was available um, and that was needed. Um, then scrolling down there, like I say, 20% of people said that they did nothing about it. We had a conversation about this and I said that whilst I found that to be a sad statistic, I really wasn't surprised at that. In fact, I thought that that number would have been higher um, because I think I think that we fall into this trap of, or I know I certainly do, so I, I shouldn't generalise, but I know I certainly do. I, if I'm sort of like struggling with something or I'm just having a down day, I find myself just going, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'm having a bit of a bad day. That's fine. I'll just get on with it. I don't really need to call anyone about this. Um, if that bad day becomes a bad week, I've then got this selection of people that I would turn to to talk to. If I happen to have a conversation with those people and I identify that they're having a bad week or they're struggling or they're just not in the right mindset, I will make a point of going, okay, clearly they aren't ready to sort of hear this from me because they've got enough going on. I'll just hold that myself. And... I respect that whilst I often talk about how ambivalent I am, I, be, I respect that that is quite an avoidant tactic. I find ways to not tell people if I'm having a bad day or bad week. Um, I kind of just, I think it all depends on how tough the problem is. I think I start off, if it's quite a small issue, I, I kind of, 
I can either just go, yeah, I'll, I'll be all right with that on my own. If if it's something where where I don't feel like I'm down, but I feel like I've got a problem, I will share the problem. If I'm feeling down, I'll I'll prefer to not tell people. I prefer to keep that to myself. Um, and I, you know, I I sort of think that that's what a lot of these responses were saying. Um, we had a conversation in the board about this, um, and someone on the board very rightly said, "Well, that's ridiculous. You know, if if you're suffering with something, even if you're speaking to somebody else who's suffering with the exact same thing, you don't need a solution. You could just phone, speak to someone, and just." talk it out and have a rant and get it off your chest. Absolutely right. Spot on advice, spot on guidance. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think people struggle with it. I think people kind of hold back on it. Well, I, I know I certainly do, so I think others do as well. 15% um, of the responses went to their GP. Um, and we said what would have been really great to find out is of those 15% who went to the GP, how did that visit go? How did that experience go? And did you work, sort of like, did you get a positive response? Did you get the help that you needed by going down that road? Um, there were some other ideas and other concepts, but they were sort of so so low percentage wise that they were just sort of very unique responses. Um, lots of people talking about getting counseling and, and things like that, which was really, really nice. We then asked the question um, of what could your agency, what could your post adoption support team, what could you, what, what could the adoption agencies do to make you feel more comfortable to approach them and to let them know that there was an issue. And uh, this is when sort of like the free, free answers were coming through. And um, this, this was really, really interesting. The, the sort of resounding response, the biggest response from people was, you need to talk about it more. You need to address it at training. You need to get it into people's minds. You need to be making this a topic that we're not scared to talk about and a topic that we can understand. Um, and again, we, we had a, a really good conversation on our session here and said, you know, I know over the years that the training that I'm delivering we have adapted it and over the last sort of like six years we've adapted it and changed it and we have included post-placement blues and have been having those conversations but we said you know it's it's kind of um shoehorned in towards the end of the experience and it's at a time when there is so much information thrown at you that it could be missed we then built on that and said that one of the board and that was sort of one of our board he went through his training two years ago and through circumstances he doesn't have 
a child placed with him yet. So, two years ago, he was in a training room talking about post-placement blues. If he had a family start tomorrow, would he remember it all? Would it still be as prominent? The answer is probably no. And would he be someone who then falls into the category of saying, you didn't tell me about this, you didn't talk to me enough about this, because it was so long ago that that was just not on the forefront of people's minds. There's also the element of burying our heads in the sand. As soon as these sort of conversations start happening, people will start maybe thinking, oh yeah, I'm pleased that you're talking about this, but that's not going to happen to me. So, you know, let's just move on from it. Um, so, I think there are a lot of factors there. What we talked about there, um, and the recommendations that we're going to be making, and I think I've talked about these recommendations previously, but the recommendations that we're going to be making is that once adopters are approved, and before they are matched, we are recommending that there is a half-day workshop, it can be an online workshop, so as it covers all of the areas, where a number of topics are covered. Post-placement support, matching, current up-to-date data of how many children are waiting, how many families are approved, so as people can understand what the what the landscape looks like. Um, Post-placement blues and support groups. What support groups are available? What ones could you get involved in right now so as you could start getting in and around the adoption community? Um, and we said that, you know, if, if we put that training out there, it might just be something that adopters can tap into and they can tap into it on a regular basis if they so desired. But it's something where they can just keep up to date with what's going on, what's needed, and what, what they can do about it, basically. Um, so that was the recommendations we had there. Um, next big sort of response was the amount of people that talked about having enormous amount of fear about being judged um, or social workers coming in and saying, because you're failing, we are going to take your children back. Um, and, and it was massive. The amount of people that were talking about, they felt so judged by their social workers. Even when they had a strong relationship with their social worker, they felt too afraid to have those conversations through fear that their social worker would say, you have failed, we're taking this child back. And we, we talked about this and we said, you know, I, I remember having anxieties about that sort of thing. I genuinely do. Now that we're so far down the line, I can look and realise just how unlikely 
that would be because for a social worker to be able to remove a child, it's, it's enormous, enormous amounts of work. Um, and that's not to say that social workers wouldn't do it because it's too, too much hard work. It's, they don't just come in and go, oh, well, you've had a bad day. We best take this child back. Instead, they would have to evidence that you were failing as a parent. But through conversation with the board, we were all talking and we said, you know, the, the, there's a massive power imbalance. And this is someone that has placed a child with you. So they have the authority to take the child off of you. Um, and I, I, I wasn't looking at that going, oh, well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. It wasn't a ridiculous thing to say. Of course, it's an absolutely acceptable thing to say. It's a horrible thing to think of. So we talked about how social workers and post-adoption support teams need to need to reach out and let it be known that you are not being judged. They need to take some of those barriers down. They need to take some of those fears down. And one thing that we sort of recommended is that the post-adoption teams could reach out to adopters and actually do a check-in on them. We said that a lot of the language and a lot of the information that comes out is training on how to support your child, training on um, what your child might need or a group for your child. And perhaps there needs to be an email from time to time with the tagline of how are you? Um, perhaps an email every now and then of post-placement blues. Let's tell you some of the symptoms. Let's share with you some of the signs. Um, so we talked about that. Um, we also talked about how during that phase, um, adopters are going to be majorly busy and they're going to be on burnout. Um, but actually what's needed is the support from people's support network. Um, and we talked about the, the, the vital responsibility of, of using the support networks. So we talked about using family sort of family meetings when social workers come out to meet with a family and talk about placements um, or family and friends training and things like that. We talked about making sure that we are addressing the topic of post-placement blues and letting the support networks know what to look out for and what to do. What to do if you see this happening. So, so they were the they were the hot topics. Again, there was a lot of topics about uh, or a lot of responses that talked about signposting and how important that is. There was a lot of comments about wanting their agency to just check in with them and just sort of make sure that they're okay. So again, that fed into sort of like the email recommendation that we was making. Um, something that comes up really regularly um, is adopters that feel that they should have a named person within their adoption support team. Um, I, I know that that would really make people feel 
supported and safer. But I also know that that's pretty much an impossible request. Agencies are dealing with so many different factors and your post-adoption or your adoption support teams, they're looking at content, they're looking at letterbox, they're doing direct content, they're doing sort of life story work. There are so many things that they are working on and they are doing and the teams are small. So as a result, it would be impossible to have a named worker because I don't think that they'd have time to be able to do it. And there isn't the funding available to put that person in place and and to justify it. You know, the ASF fund was put in place, the support groups were put in place to give adopters someone that they can reach out to, somebody that they can speak to. And again, same as what we've spoken about a number of times before, if if adopters are opting in, they're going to have people that they can reach out to, that they can feel comfortable speaking to. If they're not opting in, I think they're the ones that are saying, hey, I I really want this named person because I just want somebody to do, to pick up the phone to me. I don't want to have to pick up the phone. Um, and I think that there's this anxiety, a real anxiety about picking up the phone and speaking to these teams. Because again, that fear of judgment, fear of a child being removed. Um, so instead, these these adopters are sort of saying, if you had a named worker and they were phoning me, I, that takes that decision away. It stops it being my thing that I've got to do. Um, and unfortunately, that's just not that's just not available. It's not viable, um, and it's really important to stress and promote. You're gonna have to pick up the phone. When you pick up the phone, they'll answer. If you're in crisis, they may not be able to help you right then and there because a lot of them are sort of overwhelmed with sort of requests. But by picking up that phone, they'll know that you need that help. Um, so a named worker and, and staff turnover as well. I mean, let's, let's be honest, that, that's a factor. Um, and it's a factor that needs to be considered. There is going to be staff turnover. So if you get a named worker, they're not going to be there for life. So I just don't think it's going to going to fly. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's what we found there. Essentially, I thought I thought it was a really um, sort of good conversation. Um, I thought it was a really positive interaction. A great, great response rate. And I think it's, it's helped me to understand some of the struggles that people are going through and some of the difficulties that are being faced and some of the support that could be offered. 
the again the the, the the crucial point of how much support is needed from peer support um again if your area does not have a group that you think it needs contact your agency <laughs> ask them if you can set it up don't wait for your agency to set these things up they might not know it's needed but if you tell them that it's something that you want they are going to support you putting it together. Informal support groups, formal support groups, the whole kibosh, really, really important. If you want it, ask for it. If you want it, take the lead. You can't, I'm banging a drum and I'm, but you can't keep hoping that somebody else will do it. You're gonna have to do it yourself. Um, I mean, that's parenting, right? This is what we do. Um, but yeah, it was important to see, it was important to realize what was going out there. It's important to understand if you are going through any of this, there's always someone you can talk to. Um, I have said many a time in the past and will always say time and time again, I am a resource. I am someone that will always, always be available. Maybe not on the exact same day, but if you if you want to reach out to me and talk about anything that you're going through, I've got 10 years experience and I'm experienced enough to know people if I don't know the answer, I will find someone that does or I will signpost you to the right person. Um, I make myself available to you because I want to help. I want to help. So even if you want to drop me a message on our social media, um, but if you if you want to organise a phone call, I'm, I, I genuinely mean this. This is not a hollow, um, empty threat. If you want to chat on the phone... We'll chat on the phone. I promise I won't record it to put it as an episode. Um, but use me as resource because I am I am one. Um, don't suffer in silence. Don't suffer on your own. Um, sometimes talking to somebody who's not going through it. Sometimes talking to somebody who is a, effectively a stranger. That can sometimes be really really nice. So use me if you've not got another avenue use me if you have got another avenue and you just fancy talking to me i get that um but please don't suffer in silence speak to your agency speak to a friend speak to a loved one just reach out we all have crappy days we all have crappy weeks um when when our children are placed with you do you know what yeah it can actually be really really sad because you're losing so much of your own identity um, and you're waiting for this wonderful, magical Disney moment, and not every moment is a Disney moment. And that can be really scary. You can have these moments where you think, like, like what, why is this not feeling as special as it should? This child, you know, they've done nothing wrong. We're having a lovely time together, and we're all getting on, but for some reason, I'm just not feeling it. And that's not to say that you don't want this child to stay with you and it's not where you're saying that you think the placement is going to break down it's more 
you're just feeling a little bit rubbish. And it's okay to feel rubbish. It's okay to feel like things just aren't looking or feeling right. Reach out. Speak to somebody. Um, so that's uh, that's me. That's uh, that's my final bit on this. The journey is going marvelously. Uh, um, still got two. No, no, three hours. Yay! Uh, so, oh, services. Um, I wish you all well. I hope you're all having a lovely week. Um, because I'm recording this on the go and I'm going to be releasing this on the go, it means that I've not got the intro or outro music for that. I am so sorry. Um, just imagine it's there, right? Uh, <laughs> but as always, thank you so much for listening. Reach out to me if you would like to. Find us on our socials. Um, keep, you safe. keep yourself safe, happy and well. And I'll speak to you again next week.